Well, good morning. Welcome today. If, uh, if you're a guest with us or, or new here, my name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors, and uh, we're just thrilled to have you with us this morning as we gather together to worship on this third Sunday of Advent. Uh, just a couple of, of quick things I wanted to, to share with you. If, you. if you are a guest with us today, uh, before you go, if you'd like, we have just a, a small gift for you out at the welcome table. You could stop there, and we'd just love to give that to you uh, just as a way to, to say welcome. We're, we're glad you're here with us. Also, if you're a guest or if you're not a guest, um, if you want to know more about what's happening in the life of our church, Pastor Billy hit a couple highlights earlier, but if you want to know more, we send out a, an email in the middle of the week and uh, hits a lot of the things that are happening. And in your, in your bulletins, there's a little piece of paper you could fill out some of your contact stuff and just drop that in one of the offering boxes or there at that welcome table, and we can add you to that list or, or whatever it is. One thing in particular I, I want to highlight, did you realize that we are now 13 days away from Christmas? It's, uh, it's coming quickly, isn't it? Uh, and Christmas Eve, we're going to gather together for a Christmas Eve service, 45 minutes, where we can just focus together and be reminded that the true gift of this season is Emmanuel, God who is with us. And so I just hope that you would make that time a part of, of your family's worship time. Uh, hopefully you can join us in person. You can also join us online. Uh, but we have some cards out on the welcome table that if you have some friends or family you want to invite, feel free to take as many of these as you would like and uh, hand those out to folks. They're just right out there. And uh, we'd love to have you join us together for that. You know, as we've uh, come to this time of year, one of, my, one of the things I, I often say this time of year is it's the most wonderful time of the year except for when it isn't. You know, it's a time of year that brings a lot of joy, but it's also a time of year that can bring a lot of struggle and a lot of challenge. And as I've interacted with people over these last few weeks, I know that that is all true again this year. For many of you, this is a time of great joy, but for many more of you, this is a time filled with, with difficulties, filled with uncertainty, filled with confusion, filled with loneliness. As I've been thinking about that in the life of our church, I just want to—I I just wanted to say a couple of things this morning before we we, we open our, our Bibles together. First of all, I just want to remind us we need one another, right? I mean, we we truly do need one another, and it's so easy to just kind of get caught up in the motions there. And so, I want to—I want to ask you: Can I ask you to do something for me today? Yeah, you okay with that? Some of you don't want to answer me because you're not sure what I'm going to ask you to do. I would just ask you, those of you who are with us here, those of you who are online, just take a few moments this week and just ask God to put a couple of people on your heart. And whether it's this week or in the coming weeks, when God puts a couple of people on your heart, it might, it might just be one person, it might be two or three or four, would you just reach out to that person? Whether that's a phone call, a text, a card, whatever it is. You know, I, I think we can be confident that when God puts people on our heart, it's not just because we drank some bad, bad eggnog. It's, it's God's putting people on our heart. 
And we can just humbly obey and just reach out to others. You know, sometimes it's that, that phone call or that card that hits somebody at just the right time. How many of you have ever experienced that? Someone reached out to you unbeknownst and it, it was just what you needed. And so I would just challenge you to just, just say, God, you know, who can, who can I bless? Who can I reach out to? Who can I love? And, and just to live in that posture, not just now, not just this time of year, but, but I, I really hope that we would live into that posture as a congregation week in and week out. You with me on that? You know, the second thing I just want to remind us, for those of you who find yourselves especially just filled with uncertainty or doubts or fears or struggles, this time of year, we remember Emmanuel, God with us. Amen? You know, as we celebrate Advent, we remember that God has come into this world, that in the midst of the darkness, the light is shining and the darkness cannot overcome the light. And so wherever you are today, I just want you to know that God is with you and that God sees you and that God hears you and God loves you. Amen? Well, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you might have noticed that this Advent season, we've been working through some of the prophets and, and really some of the minor prophets, using some of these scripture passages that we find there to help point us towards the coming of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You know, I really appreciate the prophets because the prophets have a tendency to see things that the rest of us don't see sometimes. The prophets have a tendency to see God showing up in the places where we might least likely see God showing up. And so we're going to take a look at one of the other minor prophets today. We're going to be looking in the book of, of Zephaniah. If you want to start turning there, I'll give you a little chance because uh, my guess is not all of you are real familiar with where Zephaniah is. It's right after Habakkuk. Does that help you out? It's near the very end of the Old Testament. Just go back a couple of books before Matthew and you'll find it there. But, but before, we, before we actually read these verses, I just want to help us understand a little bit of what was going on with Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet during the time of King Josiah. And King Josiah followed his, his father and grandfather. Now, if we, if we look in the book of 2 Kings, we realize that Josiah's grandfather was a very wicked king. He, he, took, he took all of these things that all of the other nations were doing and sort of incorporated them into the life of God's people. And so God's people, attention was distracted. It was no longer solely focused on God. It was, it, it was, it was spread out in all of these different ways. And then after Josiah's grandfather died, Josiah's father became king, and he just kind of continued on in this wicked, evil tradition. He wasn't king for very long when he was killed, and then Josiah assumed the throne at age eight. Age eight when he assumed the throne, and he served for a number of years, and so for those first years, there were advisors who were leading things, right? But we come to learn that as Josiah got older, they, they discovered the scroll of the law, God's instructions, and this led to a tremendous amount of reform. There was a lot of reform that happened in Judah, and, and a lot of good things that happened, but but one of the challenges was that for all of the good things that, that happened, all of the good things that were restarted, there was a lot of the old things that were not left behind. And that created a problem. I was thinking about that a little bit this week, and I, I was reminded of the fact that um, 
you know, it's common if someone is getting ready to, to run their first marathon, uh, it's not uncommon for someone who's running their first marathon to go through all of the training for that marathon and actually to gain weight during that process. Do you know that? It's not uncommon for that to happen because what a lot of people think is I'm adding all of this extra exercise into my life, which means that I can eat whatever I want, right? And so as a result, it's not uncommon for someone training for their first marathon to actually gain weight before their marathon day. I say that because that's kind of some of what happened to the people of Judah. There was this reform, there were all these good things, all these renewals of faithful practices, but there was a lot of old stuff that was not left behind. It continued there. And that's why Zephaniah began to, to speak on behalf of God. He, he was saying, listen, we, our, our focus is not in the right place. We've got to get things fixed here or this is not going to be good for us. And so the book of Zephaniah is kind of broken up into, into a couple of, of sections here. The first part, Zephaniah is, is speaking to God's people. He's speaking to, to the people there who lived in Judah and saying, listen, we can't have our, our focus spread out all of these places. Our focus has to be on God. We have to keep our focus solely fixed on God or else we're going to get into trouble. Because if our eyes aren't on God, then wherever our eyes are, we're going to head off in that direction. It's, it's going to take us somewhere we don't want to go. We need to focus solely on God. We need to return back to where, to where God is here. And as as, as Zephaniah shares this in the beginning chapters, there's some language that, that should catch our attention. But in order for it to catch our attention, I actually want to go back and, and help us remember some language that we encounter earlier in Scripture. In Genesis chapter 1, the opening verses, it tells us that in the beginning, there was this dark, watery, formless, empty, chaotic void. Now, we're kind of used to hearing those words, but for most of human history, every single one of those adjectives was enough to strike fear into the hearts of people. And so, this picture we have in Genesis is this place of, of total, utter, uncontrollable chaos. But what does Genesis chapter 1 tell us? That God shows up in that place. In the place of total, utter chaos, God is present. Now, that alone is worthy of a sermon, but I'm going to spare you multiple sermons today. But God shows up in that place. And then what does Genesis tell us? That, that the voice of God, the voice of God, the Hebrew word for that is ruach, the voice of God speaks and what begins to happen? The water is separated. There's, there's sky and there's water. And then there's, there's day and there's night, and there's dry land with plants that emerges. And there's birds in the sky, and there's fish in the sea, and then finally there's all living creatures, including humankind, on the face of the earth. The Spirit of God, the voice of God, creates this order and life where once chaos and death reigned. Amen? Well, if we if we'd begin in chapter 1, of Zephaniah. As Zephaniah is speaking to God's people and warning them that if, if they don't get their focus back on God, do you know what Zephaniah says is going to happen to them? 
Zephaniah says if they don't get their, if they don't get their eyes back on, on God, then God will sweep away man and beast and birds and fish. It's like taking the story of creation and then going backwards. That's what Zephaniah is saying is going to happen. If their eyes do not get back on God, then all of what God has done is going to be reversed because, see, not only is the Spirit of God what brings life, the Spirit of God is what sustains life. And when we try to live life not according to the Spirit or within the Spirit, we cannot live the way we are intended and created to live. And so this disorder begins to reemerge, and so Zephaniah is, is calling God's people to put their eyes back on God. And then we kind of move into the, the second part of, of Zephaniah, and there's this warning to all of the other nations. So first, Zephaniah is speaking to God's people and saying, listen, you've got to get your eyes back on God or else chaos is what's going to reign in your life. Chaos is going to reign if your eyes aren't fixed on God. And then Zephaniah speaks to all of the other nations, and, and he speaks to the, the nations and, and warns them that they too will will receive the the burning indignation of God if they don't change their ways. Now, there's a part of us that could just kind of pause here and say, hold on a second. You mean to say that Zephaniah is saying for all of those other nations, all of those people who were not living in covenant with God, all of those people who did not have the benefit of God's law and and this ongoing relationship, they too are going to deal with the burning indignation of God that doesn't seem right. I mean, is that, is that really fair? There's a lot we could say about that, but there's just a couple of things that I just want to mention about this this morning. I talked about Genesis just a moment ago. You know, there's another story in Genesis where God comes and, and speaks to Cain. And God asks Cain a question. He says, where is your brother? How many of you remember that part of the story? Where is your brother? Remember how Cain replies? Am I my brother's keeper? Why are you asking me where my brother is? Am I my brother's keeper? Do you know what the answer to that question is? Yes. Yeah, actually, you are your brother's keeper. See, the way we were created was not just for us to live in right relationship with God, but also to live in right relationship with one another. God created us not just to love God, but to love one another, to care for one another, to steward one another. So the answer to Cain's question is, yes, you are your brother's keeper. What does that have to do with Zephaniah? I'm glad you asked. God's people, not only had they taken their eyes off of God, not only had they gotten distracted, but in doing that, they'd also forgotten that they were their brother's keeper. And in doing that, in not caring for those around them, it was going to impact their lives of those around them. God's people had forgotten that part of being the covenant people of God was that they would receive God's blessing, not just for themselves, but so that they could share that blessing to everybody else. And when they failed to share that blessing with everybody else, those people failed to receive the grace and goodness of God in their lives. And there's a second part to this as well. See, we believe in something that we refer to as prevenient grace. We believe that, that God is at work in the hearts and lives of people even before people realize that. And we believe that that's been true across the history of humankind. 
which means that, that God was, was being made known in ways to these other nations, even if they couldn't put a finger on it. And there were ways for them to respond to God's prevenient grace, and those people weren't doing that either. And so the picture that Zephaniah paints is that, that God's people and really all of humankind, because they have turned their backs on God, because they, they fix their eyes on, on other things, that, that God is about to bring God's burning indignation upon them. That's the word that we find in Zephaniah. This is, is, is the, the first two parts of Zephaniah. It set us up for the burning indignation of God to come. And then we come to our verses for today. So if you found Zephaniah now, I'd invite you to join me in chapter 3. We're going to begin in verse 14, and I'd ask you to stand as we read God's Word this morning. Rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your judgment. He's turned away your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't fear Zion. Don't let your hands fall. The Lord your God is in your midst, a warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you those worried about the appointed feasts. They have been a burden for her, a reproach. Watch what I am about to do to all your oppressors at that time. I will deliver the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. At that time, I will bring all of you back. At the time when I gather you, I will give you fame and praise among all the neighboring peoples when I restore your possessions and you can see them, says the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. And we say together, Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Did you catch what happened here? Zephaniah, through the first two-thirds of the book, is, is building this case for God's burning wrath. And when we think that God's burning indignation is about to come, instead of burning indignation, we find mercy. Instead of receiving what they deserved, they do not receive what they deserve. Did you catch that? That's what's happening here in Zephaniah. The, instead of the, the, the fire of God burning them up, the fire of God will purify them, will cleanse them, will make them clean. You know, on one hand, this was good news for the people of Judah because God was choosing to have mercy on them. God was choosing to have mercy on them, and that, that was really good news for them because they, they realized that, that they had kind of gotten their eyes off focus. But on the other hand, you know, Zephaniah is extending this picture beyond, and we see that God's mercy is not just reserved for God's people, but God's mercy is offered to who? To everyone, right? And there's a part of that that's good, but there's a part of that that's like, that's not always quite so good. You know, when I was in, in seminary, uh, for one of my ethics classes, I did a, I did a ride-along with um, some police officers. It was a, it was a fascinating experience. Uh, it was a little scary at times, um, but it was fascinating nonetheless. And 
Over the course of that evening when I was with those officers, I found myself in in multiple times realizing that if I was the one in control, I would have been a lot harder on some of the folks who we interacted with. And I found myself a little bit convicted because the officers I was riding with, I didn't talk to them about faith, but hearing them talk about some of their lives, I was pretty sure they weren't really all that committed to following after Jesus. And here I was studying to be a pastor, and these officers showed more mercy to people we interacted with than I would have if I would have been in control. You know, see, the, the people of Israel, they had people that they wanted to see God's burning indignation come down upon. They had their enemies that they thought they deserve what they're going to get, and we kind of hope to see them get it. Any of you have anybody in your life that you hope to see God's burning indignation come down upon? You probably shouldn't answer that question on a Sunday morning in the sanctuary, right? You know, chances are, we've all probably had those people in our life, we thought, you know, someday, someday they're going to get what they deserve, and I'm okay with it. If we're not careful, we can all think that, right? You know, there's something we realize, though, in the book of Zephaniah, and in other places in Scripture as well. There's something we, we realize about this. Zephaniah reminds us, who are the ones who've turned their back against God? Who are the people who've, who've known better and still turn their backs on God? Who are the people who deserve the burning indignation of God? You know what the answer is to those questions? All of us, right? We've all turned our back against God. We've all known better, and we've done it anyway. We all deserve the burning indignation of God. But what's the message of Zephaniah? That when the fire of God comes, it doesn't burn up, it purifies, right? When the fire of God comes, it doesn't burn up, it purifies, it it cleanses, it restores, it makes new. You know, when we think sometimes in the church about about the fire of God, our our mind goes ahead to the book of Acts. We think about when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon God's people because as we read about this in the book of Acts, one of the descriptions that's given for the Holy Spirit is that it appeared as if it was tongues of fire over top of those 120 believers who were gathered together that day. We think of the Holy Spirit as fire. You know, it's interesting, I, I, I talked earlier about Genesis chapter 1, and in the beginning when, when God spoke the Word of God, the, the Ruach of God. You know, in, in Hebrew, the same word for, for voice or for wind is also the word for spirit, the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that spoke creation into being is the same Spirit of God that cleanses the hearts and makes people whole and makes people new. You know, as we read through Zephaniah, we're we're reminded that the Spirit of God brings life out of chaos, brings order out of disorder, brings life where there wasn't before, and makes things pure. And in the book of Zephaniah, we see that the God that we worship and the God that we serve is a God who sees everybody, 
who doesn't leave the broken or the hurting or the abandoned, but is the God who comes to welcome those people, to bring, pour out God's spirit upon these people. And in Zephaniah, God shows up in a way we don't expect. The first two-thirds of the book are, are, are preparing us for the burning indignation of God. And then when it comes, what is it that we saw? God's mercy poured out upon the people of God. God doesn't always show up that, that the way that we expect, but we see that when God comes, God, God brings together all those who are hurting and all those who are broken. Zephaniah paints a, a picture that's different for us, different than we would expect. And Zephaniah says that, that we do not need to be afraid. And you know why he says that? He says, you don't need to be afraid, people of Israel, because God is near. Because God is near. You know, in this season of Advent, one of the things that we celebrate is that we have a God who has come and a God who will come again. We have a God who has come and, and a God who will come again. We have a, we have a God who is, who is with us. You know, in Zephaniah, we see this picture where the situation was, was bleak, it, it was grim, and then God says God's going to show up and bring new life again. One of the things that I enjoy about living in the Northern Hemisphere this time of year is that the days are short. Now, most of the time, I don't like the fact that the days are short. You know, I check my watch every day. It's dark already, <laughs> right? But as we celebrate Advent, I'm grateful to live in the Northern Hemisphere because this is a time of year when it's dark, and yet this time of year, we are reminded that the light has come into the darkness and the darkness cannot overwhelm the light. And I'm so grateful for that. You know why? All of us have places in our life that are dark. All of us have those places in our life that seem like it's a dark, empty, watery, voidless place of chaos. And those are the places where God is present and where the Spirit speaks and where redemption and purifying and cleansing and new life comes because God is near. Amen? And in this Advent season, we're reminded that one day God's redeeming work is going to be brought fully to completion. And we long for that day, we hope for that day, but, but we also know that, that in this present day, God is with us. And so the things that we are going through, we don't have to be afraid for all of the uncertainty and challenges because God is with us now. And so we can look forward to the, the coming day when, when all things are made new. We can look forward to that with confidence because we know that God is with us now. And really, this is what we're talking about today when we lit this candle of joy. Not joy because all is well in our life today. We all have challenges and troubles and sorrows. But we have joy because of the confident hope that we have that the God who is with us now will bring to fruition His redeeming work. Amen? And so we can take comfort in that. And we can take joy in that. But also remind us, as we see throughout Scripture, that God pours out God's blessings upon God's people, not just for God's people, but what? So that we, in turn, can share those with those around us. 
And so I just invite you today to be encouraged that God is near, but also to share the good news of that message with those that you encounter as well. Amen? Lord, today as we come before you, we are grateful that you are a God of of love and grace and also mercy. And Lord, today as we gather in this place, Lord, we, we acknowledge the fact that we need the the cleansing power of your spirit in our lives. That we need your voice to speak into us, to, to form us and shape us and bring life in those places where it seems like chaos reigns. And God, we also humble ourselves before you today, acknowledging the fact that, that you've also called us to be about sharing this good news with those around us. And Lord, it's not hard to look at the world around us and see chaos and see uncertainty and see fear. But God, we pray that you would help us to live in such a way that your love and mercy and grace would be known and bring life into those places around us. So God, today we offer ourselves to you. We humble ourselves in your presence. And we pray that you would help us to live faithful and true to you today and each day. Amen. Would you stand this morning? Oh
that today. Do not fear because God is near. And so as you go today, would you go in the grace and peace of Emmanuel, God who is with us, and God who will be with you wherever you are. Amen.